Hello, everybody, and welcome to Boston Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbutt. Hope everyone's off to a great start to the week. Happy Tuesday. I'm excited to bring you another episode of talking all things hockey and Bruins. I'm excited to have a good guest with me today. He does very, very good Bruins and hockey coverage for the Boston Globe. We're going to dive into a lot of Bruins content today on the show, so I'm really looking forward to this episode. Matt Porter, how are you doing today? I'm great, Gabby. It's uh, as we were talking about before we started rolling here. It's a, uh, it's a little bit quiet around here. Summertime. Got some hockey, some vintage hockey on in the background. So just kind of uh, doing my summer thing of getting ready. Late summer thing, I should say, of uh, getting ready for what should be a pretty exciting season. Yeah, definitely. I know you were saying you were watching a game from 1991 in the background, which is super interesting because I feel like the game of hockey has just changed a lot since then. Yeah, a ton, right? It's, it's you know, I mean, from things like, you know, I'm watching a game at the Boston Garden, which is, you know, a, a place I, I had a chance to, to see a bunch of games when I was, you know, much, uh, much younger, um, you know, to just the, the names and, you know, the, the speed of the game, the way people skate, um, you know, wood sticks and, you know, that they're playing with and, and all that stuff. You even have a couple helmetless players. I mean, it's just... Uh, it just looks like a completely different game. I think the the game that they just put on now is the uh, Bruins Capitals from, oh gosh, probably 90, 90 or 91 or something like that. Yeah. Adam Oates just scored a goal, so he's now, uh, I mean, yeah. he's now about 60 years old. So that's, yeah, that's uh, a game from the past. <laughs> yeah, that's, that shows you how long ago we're talking. Jeez, that's crazy. Sometimes it's cool to look back and watch older games like that, though, and just think about, you know, the history and kind of everything that's happened since then. Yeah, like, and one of the one of the things that really sticks out when you watch hockey from, you know, the early 90s, or, you know, even into like the mid late 90s before the lockout, you know, of, of 0405 is like how much physicality goes uncalled. Like, it's just, you know, you can hook a guy, you can you know, you can slash a guy, you can just hold a, hold a player coming down the wing and, and there's no call, <laughs> which is obviously today, you know, if you get your stick parallel in a guy's hands, I mean, they're, yep. they're going to make that, that call every single time. And um, it, it's just a completely different game. The, the skating is the big thing that sticks out to me. And, um, you know, and obviously uh, <laughs> you know, when you put it in a, a historical team perspective you're looking at a, a Bruins team here that just was a long way away from winning its uh its first Stanley Cup since the since the Vietnam War <laughs> no it's so true it's it's so it's so true yeah the skating I've always talked about how impressive it is now how good at skating they are really yeah well everybody trains year-round I mean that that I think there's a bunch of factors you know equipment is one of them and um you know, strength training and all that. I, I think it's just the fact that, you know, if you're a hockey player, you are a professional for, you know, 12 months minus, you know, 12 months a year minus the, the two or three weeks that you might take off after the season. And it's just everybody can skate. Everybody can fly. Everybody can stick handle. Um, you know, everybody has their own individual skills coach, which is something that was just completely unheard of back in the day. I mean, players would, you know, report for camp and, you know, we're talking even into the, you know, the, the eighties and nineties, they would report for training camp in, in September and do a bunch of running and <laughs> try to get back in shape. And it would take guys, you know, three, four weeks to, to get back into game shape. And then, 
you know, the start of the season would be a little sloppy, but you know, that's how, that's how they did it. And and now it's just, if you're not, you know, a hundred percent for, you know, in your training for 12 months out of the year, you know, minus those couple of weeks that you go to, you know, Cozumel or, or the Amalfi coast or whatever, you know, you're, (laughs) you're, uh, you're way, way behind and you're probably not even in the league. Yeah, it's so true. It's just with the way that the game is played, the pace of it and the physicality, you really need to be in shape all year, really, to be able to keep up with everybody. Because if you're not, it really is going to show when the season starts. Yeah, yeah. And and early season hockey is still a little bit sloppy. I mean, it, you oh, know, yeah. rel- relatively speaking. I mean, you know, I think of uh, the early season Bruins games that I've covered recently. And, you know, you look at, you know, guys like David Pasternak. I mean, he's you know, when he's on, he, he scores four goals against Anaheim early in the season. That probably doesn't happen, you know, later in the year as, as teams are getting ready for the playoffs. So things tighten up and, and, you know, there's always early season changes as well, which I'm sure we'll talk plenty about as, as, as it relates to the Bruins and, and some other teams, but, you know, guys are getting used to each other. And, uh, you know, so when you're, you know, skating with new line mates, guys that have recently signed or got traded there or whatever, guys that got called up, whatever the case might be, there's there's a, a higher degree of difficulty, you know, when you're trying to get on the same page with them, you might miss a pass and breakaway goes the other way. You got a goalie that's just getting uh, him, himself into the mix and, uh, you know, scores can get uh, get out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely, for sure. It's, it's true. The beginning of the season – Teams are bound to be a little bit rusty and, like you said, dealing with transitions, maybe some changes. But once it really gets later and later in the season and teams are kind of fixing things and sharpening up, that's when you can really see, you know, who's going to be competitive and who's not. Absolutely. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting, a team like the Bruins this year, you know, they're not going to be, I, I don't think, at their best until maybe January, you know, if that. I mean, A lot I'm, of changes, yeah. Yeah, and injuries, especially with Martian and McAvoy out and uh, yeah. Grizzlick out, those will be uh, pretty, pretty unique things, uh, you know, for this team. I mean, they're, you know, not having Marchand, okay, well, you can deal with that, but then not having McAvoy as well, you know, now you're in kind of uncharted territory, and and you know, not having Grizzlick, um, you know, I think uh, some people's mileage may vary on Grizzlick. I like him a lot as a player. Obviously, he's struggles a little bit in the playoffs when, you know, the guys are hitting, uh, you know, to hurt you rather than hit, you know, or, or trying to move you out of the way. Um, okay. You know, he's, she's shown that he's, uh, you know, I wouldn't call him a liability, but certainly, you know, a little bit of a concern there with injuries that he's had. So, uh, you know, it's going to take them, I think a while to get, you know, their, their game together, you know, obviously adding David Krejci back into the mix. What does he have early on? Um, but definitely a fascinating team to watch this year for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously one of the biggest things with this team now is a new head coach, which, you know, when I found out about that news about how they were firing Bruce Cassidy, I was a little bit shocked because I didn't really think that he was kind of the main part of the problem with the Bruins and not being and coming up short in the playoffs every year and not being able to kind of go all the way, which, a lot of us have been hoping for the last few years. And I think really that 2019 season when they couldn't finish that year, that really felt like it was supposed to have been their year. And then not being able to go all the way that year and then 
everything that's happened since then, I think there's obviously with some frustration within the organization, but I think having a new head coach to start with is in itself going to be interesting to kind of see how that works. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of angles with the Jim Montgomery hiring and, you know, his second chance, obviously that's, that's one thing that jumps out at everybody, you know, the way that it ended for him in, in Dallas and, uh, but, you know, so there's plenty to go over there. But as far as, you know, Montgomery, the coach, uh, rather than the person, I, I think it's going to be fascinating there, too, because he's a coach that had a ton of success in the college level and the junior level, uh, won championships, developed players, and then, you know, got his shot to run an NHL bench and was only there for about a season and a half, not even. So we really don't know what he is as a coach. What are his strengths? What does he like to do? It's completely different than, you know, watching Bruce Cassidy for six years as a Bruins yeah. coach. You you know what he, um, you know, what he brings to the table. Before that, Claude Julian had a well-established system. Uh, players knew what they had to do. Obviously had the fixtures in the lineup like Chara and Thomas and, you know, Tuka Rask for, you know, the latter part of his tenure. You know, the, you, you knew what you were getting with a Claude Julian Bruins team and, and you knew what you were getting with a Bruce Cassidy Bruins team. I don't know what to make of Jim Mon- Montgomery. We, in his initial comments, you know, to us and in, in the media, um, one of the things that sticks out to me is is he's a coach that's going to be adaptable. He's going to, you know, assess what he what he has and then try to make the most of it. And every coach will say that, but you know, we don't really know anything more than that at this point. You know, it. Um, he's a coach that wants to develop young talent. He's a coach that wants to play offensively while maintaining the, the defensive structure. I mean, these are all very common things to say in your introductory press conference, uh, how it plays out on the ice. I'm, I'm very eager to find out. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people on Twitter were reacting to the hiring when it happened and I saw mixed feelings on it for sure. Some people seemed like they were happy about it. Some people not so happy about it. Some people were like, we should have kept Cassidy there was a lot of, you know, chatter on Twitter, but I feel like, you know, people can have thoughts and people can speculate, but it's really, really hard to know what's going to translate and what's not because it's a, it's, you know, a new team for him that he's coaching a new situation he's coming into and you don't really know what he's going to try to implement. That's going to work with this team and what's not. So I do feel like at the beginning, like comes with any new coach, for any team, I feel like there's going to be some trial and error involved at the beginning to really see what's going to work and what's not going to work. And, you know, maybe it works with him. Maybe he's here for a year. They have a lot of success and they want to keep him. Maybe he comes in. It doesn't really work for a year. They give him another year just to see and it doesn't work. But I feel like bringing on a new coach is all experimentation at the beginning as it is because you don't really know what's going to work and what's not going to work. So it's really hard for me to really draw a conclusion on that hiring until I really see what goes on during the season and kind of what strategies he uses, how he works with these players and what works and what doesn't work. Cause his coaching style is probably going to end up being a lot different from how Bruce Cassidy was with this team. And so it's hard to really say for sure whether he's going to be a good coach for this team or not. Yeah, well, I think a lot of coaches, especially, you know, when you're taking over a team that, you know, has made the playoffs the last six, last six years, does have veterans in place, you know, does have, you know, players who are used to doing things a certain way. I don't think you want to come in and change too much. I think that, yeah. you know, like when Bruce Cassidy took over, he was Claude Julian's assistant, obviously. They had that previous relationship. Cassidy came up through the Providence 
you know, uh, organization or the Bruins organization in Providence, I should say, um, you know, had been with the organization since 2008 and when he was, you know, hired in, as head coach in, in 2017. So, you know, he didn't want to change too much. He just wanted to kind of, you know, tweak a few things that Claude Julian was doing, wanted to get the defensemen more active, um, you know, didn't want them to collapse as much in the defensive zone. That was a big thing, stopping, you know, entries at the blue line rather than letting teams gain the zone and then try to pack it in. So that really, you know, helped some of the offensive defensemen like a Grizzly, like a Charlie McAvoy, um, you know, produce more offensively. One thing we know about Jim Montgomery's style that he wants to bring to the table here is that he wants to activate the defenseman even more. So that means, you know, getting more shots from the point, um, having them, you know, move more at the offensive blue line. Um, that's something that Cam Neely talked about as well. You know, we need more production from the offense, he was saying, uh, about the about the Bruins. So we'll see how that bears out. I and mean, obviously, you know, again, like we've talked about, um, they're going to have some issues on the back end without two of their best offensive guys in Grizzly and McAvoy out for, you know, at least until Thanksgiving, as far as we know. Uh, we're hearing We're hearing this offseason that they're, uh, on track, and you know if they are on track with their injury recoveries, uh, both of them have shoulder surgeries uh, that they're coming off of, then that would put them back around Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, you don't. I don't think you try to change too much if you're Jim Montgomery, at least not early. But you know, we do know that you know with Dallas, he had a as he called it a process um, that he wanted to see his team uh, show him every single game, and and that was you know uh, fifty six to sixty percent of Face-offs, you know, that's important to him, winning those. Uh, giving up, you know, very few odd man rushes, that's important to him. A commitment to blocking shots. Um, no undisciplined penalties. Uh, winning the special teams battle, the net front battle. I mean, these are all hallmarks of, of any winning team in the, in the league, um, certainly. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's something that he'll be preaching, we know, early on. Yeah, he's definitely very knowledgeable about the game, you know, being a former player, being in the college scene when it came to coaching, also having experience, obviously, coaching in Dallas. So I think he definitely has a lot of knowledge just of the game and how he feels like things should operate. And I feel like I agree with you. I don't think changing a whole lot is a good idea because this is a team that has consistently been to the playoffs. So, you know, from a talent standpoint that they have that and they, they are there and what they, whatever they were doing was working for the most part to an extent. And then obviously ran into good teams in the playoffs. But I think, you know, I think he will recognize that. And I think it's just a matter of trying to come in, maybe clean up some things, strengthen a little bit of what were some of their weaknesses um, at the end of last season and hopefully trying to, you know, set them up for even further success. Because I know it's tough to watch this team who, you know, you feel like has that potential, but they just come up short because they run into other teams who just, you know, simply were might have been more physical than them or were a little bit deeper than them. And I think those were things that they did try to address in this offseason. And so I'm hoping that they can go into this season with a, you know, especially with coming back, um, maybe this is the year where they're like, okay, like, let's try to make this our year, you know? Yeah, it definitely does have that last run feel to it uh, yeah, with Bergeron's it age being 37 and Krejci at 36 and, you know, you have Marchand at 33, you know, Hall's 30 now. I mean, there's not, you know, it's a it's a team that, you know, the core, the leading players are definitely older. Um, and, and 
that's going to be another big thing for Montgomery to to accomplish is is bringing the you know the best out of these young players and you know you can look at uh, that's been a big it's been a big uh, point of debate or contention with um, you know fans that I see online uh, you know they're it's is it the roster or is it the coaching well a lot of people seem to think that it's the roster that they don't have the right pieces in place yep. Sweeney hasn't made the right moves um, but you know. It, having young players like a Charlie McAvoy, like a David Pasternak come in and be contributors and stars for your team. Obviously that goes a long way uh, to fixing any management mistakes. And, you know, if that's, if, if you believe that it is all on Sweeney, you know, uh, Montgomery can do a lot to, um, you know, to help that. And I think that's going to be a, a huge part of his, uh, you know, start here. And it already has been uh, connecting with young players, reaching out to guys like, Trent Frederick and Jack Stavica and even Fabian Lysel uh, to try to get them on your page and understand, you know, this is what we expect from you. Uh, you know, are, are you ready for this? And, um, you know, Montgomery has said in recent weeks in different interviews that, that he's done, that he has connected with, you know, Frederick and, and other players who, you know, really uh, were kind of the reasons those relationships fall, you know, falling sour uh, with Cassidy that, uh, that Cassidy finds himself in Vegas and not Boston today. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's definitely kind of sad turning the page on Bruce Cassidy. I think he did a lot for the Bruins and I think he, he overall was a good coach for the team. And, you know, like you said, from a coaching standpoint, they can only work with what they have. It's not on them to, you know, really, be the ones to bring in new players and that's kind of they can work with what they have and I think Bruce Cassidy did his best with what he had and I think there was a lot of talent on that team and you know obviously it's there's frustrations involved um from maybe the angle of Don Sweeney and looking at him and what he hasn't done over the last few years and what he has done and people kind of saying he hasn't made the right moves essentially to kind of make build a championship team and that there's always kind of been holes there. But I think, you know, like you said before, this has really that feel of a, this is a, the last chance we probably have with some of these guys. And so let's try to make the most of it and developing that young talent in the process that is going to be the future of the team and kind of finding that balance of, yeah, we want to give these veterans their last shot at that Stanley Cup, but we also want to develop these young guys even more since they're going to be, you know, the future of this team going forward. And, you know, I think overall, I think they did, they made a couple moves in the off season too that we can touch on, but you know, how surprised were you about Bergeron um, and even Krejci coming back too? Because, um, you know, I think with Bergeron, there was this whole, obviously after the season ended last year, that was kind of the main topic of conversation was whether he was going to come back or not. And I was very, very much on the fence about it and really mixed because I could have seen reasons for both as to why he might not and reasons why he might. But to me, it almost feels like he's coming back because he really feels like this team has a genuine shot to give it one last run with him. Yeah, I agree. I think that's his, his main you know, reason it's, you know, the team can still win. He still has a chance to do this. And, you know, when, you know, when he's leaning towards coming back and David Krejci says, yeah, man, I'm in, um, you know, that, that could only, uh, strengthen his resolve to to want to come back. You know, I mean, for him first, it's about 
you know, his wife, Stephanie and their kids and, you know, are, are they on board? Um, yeah. If so, you know, then the hockey takes care of itself, um, provided he's willing, you know, provided he's willing to put himself through it. Um, he's been, you know, rehabbing a, an elbow injury that looks to be on track. He's obviously, you know, <laughs> logged a lot of miles um, on NHL ice uh, over the past 18 years. And, um, you know, it can't be easy to psych yourself up for a 19th year. But, you know, when you have that shot to, to go do it uh, again um, and make a deep run, then, you know, that's uh, especially, you know, with, with guys like David Krejci and Marshand, who you've been, you know, with for so long. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, that can be motivating, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've been through this a few times now with, you know, guys like Chara, you know, is he coming back? And I, I remember, you know, after 2020, um, you know, we, it was kind of hard to get a feel for things because everything was on Zoom. But, uh, you know, you just kind of got the sense that, you know, he was considering retirement, obviously, given his age, wasn't surprising, but um, he's Adano Chara. You know, he wants to be the last man standing. And, uh, you know, I, 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 as I watched him go through this, and it does relate to Bergeron, um, you know, I thought that Chara was the type of guy that he would be like a, like a Nick Lidstrom. Once his play slipped, you know, he was done. You know, he, he wasn't going to, um, you know, let himself be the third defenseman on a team, but I was proven wrong there. You know, obviously I, I think he might even still come back. I don't know that for sure. Uh, but I think he's going to, or at least what his agent told me a couple of weeks ago, I think he's going to, you know, give it a ride in September and see if anybody has an interest in, in signing him, you know, as a, as veteran help and um, kind of a big, a big voice in the room, that kind of thing. Um, and we'll see with Bergeron uh, after the Carolina series, I, I was, talking to him after game seven and, and could not really get a sense of what he wanted to do because you know, he said, um, I got to take some time. And yeah, I don't think he, I genuinely don't think he knew. He probably just wanted to talk to his family and try to figure out what would be best for him at that point. For sure. And, and I, I think he, you know, being Bergeron, um, you know, I wouldn't expect this any other way. He you know wanted to make sure that if it was it, then, you know, he, you know, had a chance to hug all of his teammates and, you know, he, he had a chance to, you know, to have that as, you know, uh, a lasting memory. But as he said in recent weeks, you know, that was a, wasn't the memory he wanted, you know, going out in a game seven like that. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it, I guess, you know, overall, it doesn't surprise me that he's coming back because he can still play. You know, he, I think that's the, the long and short of it is he's still an elite player in this league. And, um, you know, the Bruins are incredibly lucky to get, you know, both, him and David Krejci on, on the contracts that they got, uh, given their cap situation. And just, just another line in, in the, um, you know, in the, uh, in, in the career logs of, uh, you know, two players that have given a lot to this, uh, to this franchise. Yeah, it's true. And I feel like they deserve to have that one last hurrah and hopefully that results in a championship. Ideally, obviously we don't know, but I think, you know, they really are trusting in this team. They've, they've done so much for this organization. And I think they really feel like they want to give it that last run. And obviously, you know, with Bergeron talking to his family and, and everything was definitely a factor. I'm sure his wife's probably in support of the whole thing too. And being able to come back. Cause like you said, I mean, yeah, like he still can play and, and him being here, I think is going to be huge from a leadership standpoint and just a locker room standpoint, having him around still this year, especially with some of the changes that the team is going through. I think having that veteran who is solid, who has been here and um, is able to kind of 
be able to come back and say, yeah, I want to do this with you one last year, I think could really be a difference from a locker room standpoint too, for some of these younger players. Yeah. Gabby, it's a great point too, because you know, when you think about having a new coach here, um, you know, all these young players you're trying to bring in, think of guys like Lassell and, you know, even, even players who have, you know, been around, but don't really have the, you know, a ton of NHL experience and Oscar Steen and Jack Ashan, um, you know, guys like that, even, you know, put Trent Frederick in the mix. He's still, you know, a young player in this league to have a guy like Patrice Bergeron, who has the ultimate respect of everybody he plays with and against. Um, but, you know, certainly, you know, the, such a deep respect from his teammates for him to listen to Jim Montgomery and, you know, understand what Montgomery is saying. He'll probably get it quicker than pretty much anybody else. And, you know, on the team, the concepts, you know, the, the coaching style, that sort of thing to have Bergeron translating it for the younger players. I mean, that is a, a resource that, you know, some teams just don't have, you know, they don't have a guy with Bergeron's mind to, to be able to say, Oh yeah. Okay. Here, let me say it this way. What Jim Montgomery is telling us, you know, what the coach is telling us um, here's here's how I can make, this apply to, you know, what you're trying to do as a young player. You know, he's Montgomery has said in his initial press conference uh, with us that, you know, he talked to Bergeron on the phone, you know, his first call that he made to a player, or I don't even know if Bergeron called him or he called him, but, you know, he said that Bergeron was like an assistant coach. And that is hugely important, I think, for a team, you know, that is trying to bring in the young players and even for the veterans, for Bergeron to say, no, 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 you know, Maybe you're not getting it here. Think of think of it this way, um, you know. And then obviously, what happens on the ice? Bergeron's going to do the right thing, and that obviously is going to translate as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's going to make a huge difference here. I was super happy when the news came out because it would have been really tough. I mean, I would have understood it if he said, "Yeah, I mean, this this is it for me. I'm I'm hanging it up." Because you know, he wanted to spend that quality time with his family. And after the career he had, it would have been well-deserved if he did decide to do that. Um, but I was really happy that he decided he wanted to give it that last run because that alone in itself really, I feel like, gives this team such a different feel and a different vibe going into the season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if they didn't have, you know, if they don't have Bergeron coming to the season. They don't have Krejci either, I think. Yep. Oh, yeah, um, I agree. I agree. I think that was – I think all of that was dependent on Bergeron's decision. Yeah. And then – so then what are you doing at center, right? I mean, you've – you know, if you if if they've made the Zaka trade, I mean, maybe he's your number one center. I mean, that's not exactly, you know, where you want to go. And and if that's the case, I mean, it is, it is an interesting thought exercise to, to consider what would, what would have happened if they didn't sign – David Krejci and, and Patrice Bergeron, because, you know, this is a team that still has talent. I mean, I've heard calls from fans. I've gotten emails and, and tweets and messages about it. You know, people sounding off about this, you know, saying, well, why don't they just tear it down and rebuild? Well, because you have a lot of talent. I mean, when you have David Pasternak and Charlie McAvoy and Brad Marchand, and Taylor Hall, you're not really going to tear it down. I mean, when you look at the teams that are competing for that number one overall pick next year and a chance to draft Connor Bedard, you know, you're looking at teams that have a lot less talent than the Bruins. Yeah, exactly. But that being said, you know, if you are a team that is going to be missing, you know, if you don't have Bergeron Krejci, so now you have the huge hole at center, um, yep. you know, you have Swayman and Allmark, but yet, you know, you have no McAvoy, no Marshan, uh, no Grizzly for a little while there. Um, 
you know, what are you doing exactly? You know, can you convince your players and maybe even more importantly, can you convince your fans that we're going to take a step back and we're going to try to, you know, get a high pick. You can't come out and say that. Um, I just, it's interesting to think about. I don't think it would ever happen. Um, talking with, you know, ownership, uh, the Jacobs family, um, you know, during Montgomery's press conference, you heard what they said. And, you know, you can tell that there's no appetite for a rebuild, um, especially coming off the pandemic when, you know, they don't want to lose any ticket sales because, uh, you know, they're in a business and concessions where they simply, you know, got hammered as so many businesses did, but certainly the, the entertainment uh, concession business, you know, that they run um, took some big losses. So financially, doesn't make sense to them, but it is interesting to think about. No, it is a really interesting concept. And I feel like for them, they are just not in a place right now where they need to do a full on rebuild. And, and it's, there's, I just feel like there, there's just too much talent on that team for them to be put in that category with other teams who might be trying to do a full rebuild. And I feel like, you know, they, they have a pretty complete roster in terms of right now, the talent that they have on that team. And I just feel like they're, not in a place where they need to do a rebuild right now. And I feel like that was a little bit unknown, you know, after this season, it was really unknown. And again, all the dominoes, I feel like we're going to fall depending on that decision by Bergeron. And I feel like what his decision kind of would make all the difference in terms of what this roster, but might've potentially looked like. And so I just feel like that decision to me kind of solidifies that they are not really in a place where they need to rebuild right now, but it definitely is, an interesting concept to, to think about that for sure. Yeah. And, and what's uh, regardless, they are in a, in a place over the next two years where you're going to see either a lot of change or a lot of moves being made. Um, You know, when I say change, I mean, guys leaving the team, um, you know, or you're going to see Don Sweeney have to sign a guy, you know, sign a lot of guys. Cause when you look at, you know, you look at their cap friendly page, and they've got four forwards signed after this year. And that's Pasternak, Hall, Coyle, and DeBrusque. That's it. Um, or uh, Marsh, Marshan, excuse me, Marsh. So Mar- yeah, Marshan, Hall, Coyle, and DeBrusque. Uh, Pasternak needs a contract, obviously. Um, and oh, Oscar Steen too. He's he has a deal. Oh yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then on defense, uh, beyond you know the year after that, um, you know you you only have, and we're talking 20, 2024, 2025, you only have McAvoy, Lindholm, and Carlos signed. So this is a roster where you, got, you could see a lot of change over the next couple of years. And so, it, so it's, you know, speaking of thinking about the rebuild, you know, kind of that, you know, all the changes you could make, you know, you just get kickstarted early and, and um, you know, cut bait and, you know, try to tank. I, again, I could never see it happening, not under this ownership, not under this, under this, uh, you know, hockey leadership, but I think regardless, you know, you're going to see a lot of movement, um, and things could look very, very, very different over the next couple of years for the Bruins. Yep, and that's why it's almost like they really kind of are in a win now mode type of mentality, or at least they should be, because while they still have this core together, um, before some of these changes start to happen, it's really, you know, to me, it really feels like a we really should try to win now when we have all these people still. And then when the changes start to happen, there might be a little bit of some frustration in terms of a rebuild or some question marks surrounding, you know, certain players. And so I just feel like before that starts to happen, this really feels like it's win now. And I feel like they've been in that mode 
the last couple of years, especially last year. And now that it didn't happen last year, I feel like this really is that year. Yeah. And if you're, if you're the Bruins, you also have to be mindful of, of trying to get guys like Lysel, uh, John Beecher, um, Stadnika, obviously, um, you know, Victor Berglund, you know, on defense, Jack Ashan, these guys, you have to try to work them in the mix. And, you know, because you got to know what you have um, yep. going forward. Uh, are these going to be players where you, you can, you can start to see them building NHL careers and, and, you know, more importantly, impactful NHL careers for the Boston Bruins. Um, you got to start to see that now. And uh, I think the injuries early on, especially up front will really help, uh, the Bruins, you know, get those guys in the mix. So, you know, I can see Lysel with Marchand out. He plays a different position, but, you know, if Lysel is a, a right winger, you know, maybe DeBrus can move to the left side where he, you know, his natural position, can he get some reps? Um, you know, Lysel is, uh, you know, junior eligible. So, you know, either he makes a splash or he goes back, you know, that's basically the, the deal. Um, and, uh, you know, then a, a guy like Georgie Merkulov, you know, who looked really good last year in Providence uh, after he signed out of Ohio State. You know, what is, you know, can he do anything at the NHL level at this point? My, my guess would be no, um, but that's, uh, that remains to be seen. Um, it's happened before with David Pasternak. You know, he, everybody ticketed him, you know, to, to go back and, uh, you know, we're playing the minors. Uh, and, you know, he did that for a year, but, boy, he made them think, um, you know, uh, in, in training camp in, in 2014. So, um, you got to see what you what you have, and uh, I think they're pretty well set up, uh, you know, despite everything, to do that. Yeah, I agree. You want to get them that exposure and kind of see what you have going forward, who's going to be, you think, reliable in the future and that you can really utilize, and I think now is a good opportunity for them to be able to start doing that and working some of those guys in. And I think, you know, I think they know kind of what they're – their vision is going into this season. They want to win, obviously, but it's it's definitely a good opportunity knowing that some of these guys won't be here much longer to take advantage of that and kind of see what what these these guys do have. I definitely am with you on that. I think they will do a good job of that. And I think it's super important that they that this year they really utilize that opportunity and take advantage of that and be able to see because these guys could be really be your core in the future. So you want to definitely see, you know, do you see this person contributing longer term to your team or not? And I think now is getting it ahead of that and starting to think about that now is, is super important, but I know you did mention this before, and I do want to get your overall thoughts on that Zaka trade. Um, you know, obviously Hala left going to Jersey. How do you, what, how did you feel about that trade? Like, do you think that was, a pretty equal trade? Like, do you think both teams benefited from it or where are you, where are you kind of thinking about that? Like, where are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was a, a very interesting to see the move um, when it happened because, you know, you don't always see hockey trades, you know, and this, this to me was yeah. a hockey trade. It's a, you know, yeah. New Jersey gets a guy in Eric Halla who is a, a reliable, you know, two-way center who can play basically any role that you need him to. Um, you know, he can play the left side, he can play the middle, play penalty kill, play power play, second unit. Um, you know, he, he's got some some playmaking ability. If if he's put with offensive guys, he can you know be more of a defensive guy, even though he really doesn't want to be. Um, you know, I think he's a pretty good second line center, um, or, or at least a you know a, a capable second line center for 
for a team in New Jersey that, you know, isn't really expecting to, you know, do great things this year, um, I, I think he'll do fine. And then in Zaka, you know, he's, he's a guy that I know the Bruins have, have looked at over, you know, over the past few years. Um, you know, he does live here. Like there's a fit here, you know, he lives here in the off season. Um, his, uh, his partner's from here. Um, I think she's from Needham. And, uh, you know, so he's always wanted to play here and, you know, he's a big body with some offensive talent. And, you know, sometimes guys like him, you know, they make a, they have a great junior career and, you know, they're drafted high and then it, it doesn't quite work for them at the NHL level. And, you know, then they find the right fit and the Bruins are betting that that can be his, you know, his spot here, you know, or, or his, his path here, you know, that he can play with, you know, the best teammates that he's played with since he was playing with David Pasternak and, you know, in the Czech junior team. Um, he's never, never played with a guy like that. Um, you know, unless you count M- MVP year Taylor Hall, who we also played with in New Jersey. So yeah. from a familiarity aspect, um, oh, and, and not to mention his, one of his best friends from childhood, um, they've, you know, known each other since they were, you know, in like kindergarten is uh, Jakob Zaborl. So, you know, really? maybe there's... I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, they're from the same That's town in Czech. Yeah, they're, they're, they're from the same town. And uh, so they, cool. were, they were teammates um, all through the years growing up. And, uh, you know, they're, they remain close today. So that's, you know, maybe, you know, especially, you know, a guy like Zaboral, maybe he can get some kind of, you know, <laughs> fun out of this. And sometimes that's, I don't want to say that's all it takes. It's just playing with a guy that you know. But certainly it makes coming to the rink more fun when you have that familiarity and, and there's definitely going to be some on-ice chemistry between those two. So it's not like they're, you know, center and wing kind of connection. You know, they're Zaboral's a defenseman and obviously Zaka's a, a center slash wing. But, um, you know, they're going to enjoy playing with each other, obviously. And it, it'll just help Zaka's transition. Um, I mean, maybe he plays, maybe he starts on a line with, uh, with Krejci and, and Pasternak. I mean, that would be... Obviously, three guys that's you know speak the same language, have similar ways of thinking about the game, um, you know, came up kind of the you know the same way in the same Czech system, and um, you know, for a, a kind of a wide open team, you know, so to speak, this year with a new coach and kind of everybody's kind of open to new approaches and stuff like that. To have those three guys with some instant chemistry, you know, that can certainly uh, help out the Bruins as they try to find their way under Jim Montgomery. So. I think overall, I, I really liked the trade. Um, I thought it was a good trade for both teams. I was, like everybody, I was wondering, you know, what's the number going to look like? You know, if they can get Zaka signed, is he going to go long term? Is he going to go one year? Uh, I think, you know, given what we talked about a minute ago with the all the contracts that the Bruins have coming up, I think one year at $3.5 million is perfectly fine. And uh, obviously, Zaka is going to be looking for a, a long-term extension after having a great year. So uh, the rest is up to him. Yeah, I think there's there wasn't really any, you know, harm with this trade. I feel like it was kind of a both teams kind of addressed things that they needed. And I feel like from, you know, a Bruin standpoint, like you said, I feel like he has the potential to really enjoy playing here and really be successful here. And obviously, you know, the one year I think makes a lot of sense just so they can really see how he does contribute and how he does show up and perform. And then if he performs really, really well and he does actively contribute, then they evaluate that later on. But I think what how they went about it now with the one-year deal is 
smart because then they can kind of just it gives him an opportunity to really prove himself and show if he really does want to play here then he has to show up and be able to perform and I think then obviously they evaluate that contract as the time comes but yeah I didn't hate it either I didn't really I mean I I just didn't think it was obviously it wasn't like this drastic crazy trade which they didn't they had already said they didn't really they weren't really going to make a lot of drastic moves this offseason anyway um, and so I don't think, but I don't think there's really much harm in this. I, I, I actually think that he could be, you know, a good role player on this team. And I think he really could contribute, um, especially with, like you said, his familiarity with the area and being able to, um, you know, have a desire to want to play here, I think is going to be good for him and for the team with the adjustment period. And so it'll be good to kind of see what he actually does to contribute. But I think, I don't really think either team won or lost the trade. I think it was just a pretty, you know, even trade on both sides. Yeah. I mean, Zaka, Zaka, when you think about it this way, Zaka got what every player wants, which is that he just can live in the same house. (laughs) Like he doesn't have to go any. He just moves into his summer home, basically. Right, so like ideal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, it's uh, you just look at all the contracts they have coming off the books. I mean, it just it, it works. And he's Zaka's a good player. I mean, he's a he's somebody that you know was drafted sixth overall in that famous 2015 draft that everybody you know wants to talk about. Yeah. Um, and you know, but there is a reason for that. It's because of his size. It's because of his skill. And you know, he's a very good, you're very very good player as a junior. Um, and, you know, had some, had some ups and downs, um, you know, in the NHL with New Jersey, some coaching changes, um, high expectations, all that. And, uh, you know, it's a, a guy six foot three, you know, if you can, you know, teach him how to use that size a little bit more, if you can teach him how to shoot, you know, a little bit more willingly, then he is a guy that can get you 50 points. And especially playing with, you know, guys like, guys like Pasternak and, and Krejci, um, that's, uh, that's definitely intriguing if you're a Bruins fan. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's definitely a lot of, a lot of positives that could come from him being on this team. And I think ultimately, you know, it made sense from a productivity standpoint. I think he's going to be able to really contribute and, um, you know, hopefully he does have a really good year cause then they can obviously reevaluate the contract situation and, you know, I think he will. I think he's going to show that he wants to be here. And I think he's going to make that that whole trade and that move worthwhile for them. So I'm kind of excited to see him here and kind of see what he does to contribute, um, you know, to everybody else on this team. And I think it, I'm excited to to see that as much as we will miss Hala. I know a lot of people are going to miss him, but I think, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it kind of made sense to do what they did. And hopefully he finds success over there with the devils. And I think, uh, you know, I think he will. So I think overall that with that trade at no, neither team can look at that and really complain about the trade and what they got out of it. So I think overall it was, it was pretty even. And, and I think that's good, but you know, obviously going into this season, there's still a lot of good teams that they're going to have to compete with, but just looking at this team right now, and, you know, just in general, the moves that they made in free agency this year, are you happy overall with what they did? Do you think that they should have done more? Do you think that they are in good shape going into the season based on the free agency moves that they did make or, you know, where, where is your head at with that? Well, I don't think they did a whole lot in free agency. And, and I think that's, that's by design. They didn't say they, they said they kind of weren't planning on it either though. 
Yeah, it, it was by design. I mean, they're, they're a team that's very close to the cap. Um, you know, they knew they had to keep room open for Bergeron and Krejci. You know, they didn't really know what that was going to look like. Going forward, they don't want ha- to have too many commitments because they are trying to sign David Pasternak to a long-term extension. It's yeah. going to be, you know, at, at the very least, uh, Charlie mm-hmm. McAvoy's deal at eight years times $9.5 million. Um, I would not be surprised to see Pasternak get well over $10 million. He is that kind of player. The market sure. has... Yeah, and, and the market has gone there as well with Jonathan Huberto getting 10.5. Um, I think the Johnny Gaudreau contract is not a great comparison because he just surprised everybody yes. for him to get, you know, for him to get under 10 million after a, you know, a, a season where he had 115 or 17 points, whatever it was. It's so, I, I think you know the Bruins is from a roster perspective. You know, they when healthy, I think they look great. Um, you know, great being a relative term, I think, you know, there's a, a bunch of other teams that also look great, but, you know, they, you know, y- you like their depth on the left wing with Hall, DeBrusque, and, you know, you, I guess you'd throw Zaka in there. He can also play center, obviously. Uh, Frederick in, in that mix. Um, and Marchand, um, you know, uh, the, down the middle with Bergeron and Krejci and Coyle and Zaka and Nosek, they look pretty good. Uh, the right side is a little bit lighter, I would say, you know, with Pasternak and Craig Smith and, you know, maybe that's your spot for a Lysel or a, a Stadnika. Uh, Mark McLaughlin has shown that, you know, he can, you know, kind of play some fourth line minutes and maybe even move up to a third line uh, role. Um, but he's, you know, kind of still an untapped guy as far as potential goes. Um, you know, on defense, the right side to me is looking pretty thin, especially with McAvoy out. You know, Brandon Carlo is your number one guy on that side. Yeah. Um, with Clifton and, you know, I, I guess the number – Three right D right now would maybe be like a Connor Carrick who's played in the league, but certainly nothing, nothing to write home about there. Um, so you know you're, you're you're hoping that you don't have too many more injuries early on because you know if you fall too far behind uh, in the Eastern Conference, boy, it's tough to make up ground after Thanksgiving, you know, in December. So um, that's going to be kind of a concern as health early on. But um, you know, I, it's it's hard to. It's hard to say. It's hard to have expected too much more from them, given the situation they were in as far as free agency goes. Um, you know, being as close to the cap as they were with the commitments that they have. So, it's kind of one of those seasons that, and I've written about this. Where you know, for Sweeney, uh, Don Sweeney, you know, he's pretty lucky that things broke the way they did. You know, with Bergeron and Krejci coming back on those on those, you know, inexpensive deals. I mean, that's pretty much the way it had to go. Uh, for him to be able to weather this season as a general manager and, um, you know, get to the next phase where you have all this money coming off the books. You have, you know, like a dozen players uh, with expiring contracts and uh, be able to kind of restructure your team uh, going forward around, you know, the next wave of guys like Pasternak and and McAvoy and Lindholm, um, you know, Taylor Hall for a few years, et cetera. Oh, and of course, Jeremy Swayman, Um, you know, they, they still have to sign him as well. So, that's uh, you know, things broke very well for Sweeney in that on in that regard, and as far as what he was able to do, you know, I think you, you give him a solid B. Um, you know, they added some NHL quality depth with you know guys like Carrick and AJ Greer, Vinny Letary, um, you know Keith Kincaid. You know, not guys that you're you know hopeful to play, but certainly you know you can survive a, a ten game stretch with AJ Greer as a fourth liner in your lineup, and and uh, you know he's probably not going to hurt the team. Yeah, it was it was primarily depth moves that they were making, which absolutely makes sense. I mean, 
it definitely, he was banking on the Bergeron and Krejci thing to happen as it did. It, it seemed like he, had, he approached this free agency as if, as if they were coming back, essentially. Really, really banking on that happening. So, obviously, it's really, really good that they did because this team, like we talked about before, would be in a lot rougher shape if that didn't happen. We'd be looking at a, a lot thinner, you know, of, of a roster from that standpoint and, um, you know, trying to figure some more things out. So, he came into this free agency hoping, I think, that that was going to happen and, and really under the assumption maybe that that was going to happen. And so, we're really, really lucky that things happen to fall like that and Bergeron made the decision he did and then resulting in Krejci making that decision he did too and so I think you know it's all of that is a result of those two and um it now the the moves that he did make really overall are fine because by that all happening it really doesn't feel like he needed to address a lot of big holes during this free agency. And like you said, with the cap that they're dealing with and, um, you know, what all the contracts they have right now, I think it kind of makes sense that they really were going for depth. And these aren't people that you're going to expect to contribute regularly, but that can contribute if, you know, obviously we hope this doesn't happen, but injuries or other things that come up, they're guys that can be productive enough, you know, um, which I feel like is is all that they were really looking for, just people who could fill some holes from a depth standpoint and could be productive enough if you needed them to kind of play more and and, and contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, if you if you're thinking, well, okay, if I'm you know in a vacuum, if I'm you know I'm, uh, building a roster, I'd much rather have Curtis Lazar as my number four right wing than AJ Greer. Okay, well, that's fine, but. Curtis Lazar took a three-year deal to go back to Van, you know, he's from BC. So he took a three-year deal to go back to, uh, you know, the Canucks and, um, you know, near where he's from. So it's, you know, that's, if you're the Bruins, that's bad business to give him that. And, you know, he's a nice player, but, you know, you can fill that hole much more cheaply. It's not unlike a Sean Corrali a couple of years ago, you know, took a uh, more money and more term to go, you know, play in his hometown in Columbus. And, um, that's that's kind of the way you have to do things in this cap era, you know. Just yep. try to fill, try to fill holes with guys on minimum deals or under, you know, under a million. Uh, where you get into trouble is where you sign guys like Nick Foligno who don't have a ton left. Um, uh, you know, David Backus, those kind of contracts where you're committing more money to more established players. Um, you know, Sweeney has his reasons for doing that for in both of those cases, but. Uh, you know, obviously have not worked out well. Um, you know, if you can avoid, if you can avoid doing that, then you're probably doing okay as a GM. Yeah, seriously. It's, it's true though. And I feel like sometimes people forget that teams can't, don't have all the money that to spend, you know, and they can't just go out and just pay all kinds of players. I mean, I feel like sometimes people forget that. And sometimes you do have to go with somebody who could be a good alternative, but is a little bit cheaper and might not be, the exact same as what you're hoping for, but at least can kind of help get the job done and fill a hole in some capacity. And that's how they did approach this because they're very, very aware that they do have some expensive contracts on their books right now. And I feel like people sometimes miss that aspect of it that, yeah, we need to be aware of the fact that this, you know, the cap is a thing and we need to keep in mind that when it comes to making some of these moves. And I think he went about it in a really, really smart way in terms of how can I fill these holes 
but not have to spend as much money because of everybody else, the other contracts that I have that are more expensive that, you know, I have to keep in mind. So I think there's, there has to be a good balance. Obviously you don't want to not go out and spend money on anybody because you're not going to win that way either. But you also, these teams don't have all the money in the world to spend on every single player that fans might want to see, you know, play for your team either. So there has to be that good balance of the two and I think Sweeney's very, very good at that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot that goes into free agency, obviously, as well. I mean, some guys, you know, don't want to play for certain teams. And Boston doesn't typically fall into that nearly as much as, say, a Winnipeg or, you know, uh, you know, teams like that, that, you know, this team, some players just don't want to play in Winnipeg. Um, you know, to name to name one example of, of several around the league, Arizona, you know, being another. Um you know, Boston can be pretty attractive to a lot of players because of, you know, the city and where, you know, the team is, uh, you know, in its, in its development and, you know, competitive, uh, you know, aspect, um, you know, they have a chance to win. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's certainly, you know, I, I look at the Bruins, you know, I, I'm thinking, well, okay, they probably could use more right side depth on defense. Well, you know, you kind of need a specific player, um, you know, Connor Carrick is really that kind of guy. Two-way deal, cheap money, can play in the league, you know that, and you're really just kind of hoping that he's going to be there until Charlie McAvoy gets back. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, a, you're, you're, you're a very narrow definition of guys that you want if you're the Bruins uh, this offseason. I think they did as, about as well as they could have to fill those holes. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I don't really have – I don't have an issue with – how this offseason went for them at all. I think they they did kind of what they needed to do. Nobody should have really been expecting a lot of big moves because of the situation they're in, nor did they really, really need to make a lot of big moves. Um, I'm excited to see how everything goes with Montgomery, and I'm excited to see kind of just how this season goes because I think this really does feel like it has that energy of, you know, one last run, like let's let's go out and do it this year, and hopefully that they they take that energy – um, you know, with Bergeron and Krejci and they take that energy of them being here still to really go out and try to, um, you know, win one more with them while they have them here. And it just seems like it's that type of season. And we can only hope that, you know, things can go their way. There's a lot of deep teams like we talked about, especially in the Eastern Conference. But I think, you know, I think they'll be right there. I think they can compete with those teams definitely if they can figure things out early enough, which hopefully that, that they can, um, you know, and I, I hopefully going into the season with Montgomery, I think as long as they can kind of adapt earlier on, I think that they can be up there with those teams in the Eastern conference. And I think it's going to be a fun, this team is going to be fun to watch this year. I think. Yeah. I, more so in the second half. Right. I mean, that would be my, my expectation for them is whether the storm, uh, you know, try to, be a little bit better than treading water uh, early on while, you know, Marshan and McAvoy and Grizzly are, are still recovering. And uh, yeah, cause you, you know, don't want to fall too far back at the beginning to the point where by the time they do come back, it's just too late and you can't really recover from that. Cause that would just be un- unfortunate. Right. And, and, you know, like a fourth place finish, you know, and, and a, and a second wild card. I mean, that's, that's not going to hurt them. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll still get in. They'll hope that they're playing, you know, their best uh, at the right time, but, um, you know, I, I think you can kind of see them a little bit like Tampa, you know, that, that just kind of does what it has to do in the regular season and then tries to, you know, turn it on in the playoffs. And, 
uh, certainly it's a team that uh, will have all the motivation come April to, uh, to get it done again. That is exactly what Tampa does. They just kind of, you know, float through the regular season, kind of do what they have to do to get in. And then they just really turn it on when they have to, when it matters most. And that's when you see them play their best hockey is, you know, towards the end of the season, straight into the playoffs. That's, that's just how that team operates. I mean, obviously Tampa is a very, very good deep team and, and um, you know, they're tough. Um, so, you know, I was happy that Colorado won this past year, but Tampa still, that that's just, that's their formula. That's just how they do it. They, they play obviously good hockey in the regular season because they have to, in order to get in, but you don't really see fully what they can do until the postseason. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, they're, they're the model. Um, you know, even though they didn't win it last year, I think everybody still considers them the, you know, the, the model franchise, given the way that they've navigated so many different situations in the past you know, several years. I mean, they've been through it. They've, you know, they've won and lost. I mean, they, you know, were swept by Columbus in, in that crazy series a couple of years back and then just went on an absolute tear. Um, yeah. You know, you have the goaltender. I mean, that's that that makes a huge difference, and they certainly do. Uh, the Bruins can only hope that uh, Jeremy Swayman can <laughs> have a career like Andre Vasilevsky. Um, I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> that's what we're hoping. But I do like so far what I've seen from him you know, obviously he's still young and he's still developing, but I think so far what we've seen from him has been good. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, there's a lot of potential there, obviously. I, I think he certainly has the head for the game. He has the athleticism. Uh, um, like all young goaltenders, you know, you, you expect a little bit of a regression once teams figure out what he does and what he likes to do and gets, you know, get a book on him, so to speak. Um, that happens you know, everywhere. We saw it with Carter Hart in Philadelphia. Looked great when he started. Had a really bad sophomore year, and then he's kind of you know figured it out a little bit since then. Earned himself another contract, and um, you know he's uh, you know a guy that you're expecting bigger things from in the years to come. So um, you know if Swayman isn't ready this year, or if you know teams have kind of figured out something about him, then you know they have Linus Allmark, who I think you know, obviously is hungry to to play himself. Uh, they have a good relationship, but uh, you know, they both want to be the guy. So, um, you know, it could be, you know, ideally uh, Jim Montgomery has his way. Things will be uh, for him like they were in his first, uh, you know, year in Dallas when they had a bunch of injuries uh, with the stars and uh, they had incredible goaltending from Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin to, to keep them in the mix. And, and then they turn it on in the second half. So maybe we'll see a repeat of that. Yeah, I mean, maybe that'd be that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I, I think it's it'll definitely be an interesting season this year for the Bruins. I think obviously everyone's kind of just curious to see um, how the season goes, but definitely a lot of things to look forward to with this as well with this team. So that's good. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to when the season does start. It is coming up. It'll be here kind of before we know it. So. The, the summer is ending and the fall is starting and, you know, it's going to be starting back up again in full swing soon. So. Yep. Training camp in a few weeks, uh, rookie camps, you know, all the, uh, all the season preview stuff, uh, you know, from my perspective at the globe and uh, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be all over it. Well, I appreciate that. Cause I really, really like your coverage and your content and you do a great job. So. Oh, thanks Gabby. Much appreciated. And then thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Everybody, as always, thank you so much for tuning into the show. 
Um, really looking forward to the season. Hope you all are as well. I will definitely catch you all next time and hope you have a great rest of your week. Go Bruins.